Welcome to Jesus at the Table. The podcast where we have real conversations about the spiritual journey, cultural issues, and big theological questions. Well, welcome everyone to Jesus at the Table, the podcast where we talk about all kinds of things, and I am here with my co-host, Leslie Zarita, and we are going to jump right back into our conversation about how American Christianity became such a political mess. (laughs) Yes, we are. And apparently, what I said at the beginning of last week's podcast, (laughs) that this is the podcast where truly... No topic is off limits. Uh, we, we dove right into that space last week. Um, because at the end of last week's episode, I brought up the fact that the marriage of Christianity and politics or the marriage of God and country or God and state have really played out strongly in recent years. And then you brought up January 6th of 2021, and the fact that we saw Christians marching on the Capitol along with neo-Nazis and white supremacists. So why don't you explain that? Yeah, so, yeah, I wondered about that myself a lot after it happened. Like, how do we explain that? And here's the thing. I don't think that most of those Christians were racist. So if somebody's listening to this and they think, oh, you're calling all these people racist because they were with neo-Nazis and white supremacists, I don't think all those Christians right. were, were racist. But I think that they have so bought into this idea of Christian America, right, the marriage of God and the state, as the highest end that it must be pursued at all costs. And, and so the means end up justifying the ends of reclaiming their country, right? You know, it's like whatever we have to do to reclaim our country for God, whatever we have to do, you know, we're going to do it. Even if that means we're making common cause with people who represent everything that is the opposite of the Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. right? And Jesus' own teaching about the equality and dignity of all people, right? Right, So right. And And I think for a lot of people, there was such an element of fear of what's going to happen to our country, what's going to happen to our country. And you and know, that fear was fed and that fear was stoked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think that's what we saw. You know, you, you, you referenced their, you know, people not necessarily, you know, being racist or having a, a specific uh, ideology that associated with the white supremacists or the neo-Nazis driving them, but there was definitely that fear component. Yeah, and this is what I was saying last week about allegiance confusion, mm-hmm. right? If I say this is the highest end and whatever it takes, we have to get to this end, then all the other stuff that's part of following Jesus somehow gets pushed down the ladder. It's it's lower. It's less important because we have to do this thing. Right, right. And and you've talked a lot about the danger of aligning Christianity with a, a specific political party or a specific leader. Is that about the political left or the political right or everybody or nobody or what exactly? Well, you can, you can marry Christianity to any brand of politics. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the I history agree. of nations... There are times Christianity, in the history of Christianity, there are times Christianity has been married to the political left and times it's been married to the political right. Um, so, so it can go either way. But in our culture in recent years, the marriage has been to the political right. And that is inarguable. Just ask any observant non-Christian, anybody who's really watching the movements of, of culture out there, and they know, go talk to them, they know which side Christianity is visibly married to 
which political side Christianity is visibly married to in this moment in our culture. And as I as I said last time, you know, that courtship has been across at least a 60-year period. Right. So what happens when we align Christianity with one party or a leader? Well, several things happen. You know, for one thing, we, we stop being discerning mm-hmm. because once we, because what we're saying is when we say Christianity is all with the right or the Republicans, or if we said Christianity is all with the left and the Democrats or some other party that's yet to become a strong force, when we do that, what we end up thinking and buying into is that all the good, hence all the God represented views are over on this side and all the evil and all the things opposed to God are over on this other political side. And so then we don't need to discern anymore because we say, oh, that's God's side. Um, But that's very, very dangerous because politicians and parties have ulterior motives. Right. It's very dangerous to say, Mm -hmm. oh, I just parked it all over there with them. You know, so you'll stop being discerning. And then the second thing is that it makes it easy for us to get played. And I know, oh my gosh, I just know how that hurts us to hear that as Christians. And I'm, and I, and I, and I'm, there's a part of me that's cringing at my own voice at this moment because I like, I don't want to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Ronald Reagan was the, the first modern president who figured out that he could play to the Christian base and get that voting block, and it would increase his political chances and his political power. And frankly, Donald Trump has done it really, really well. Um, now, can can it be done by someone on the left? Of course it can, mm-hmm. but that isn't what we've seen in recent history. Donald Trump is the, is the recent example. So to the point that there are all these Christian ideas about Donald Trump, that Donald Trump is the chosen one of God. I mean, I've heard this preached by Christian preachers mm-hmm. and, quote, prophets all over the country. Uh, Donald Trump is the chosen one of God. He's the one that God has raised up to save Christian America. And so all this... so. You just have to recognize you're attaching Christianity to this political leader in this incredibly powerful way. Uh, And so you you hear Christians all the time talk about how he's a Christian and he's a committed follower of Jesus. But just listen to his responses. And I'm not trying to be mean, but listen to his responses when he gets asked about his faith or about the Bible. He doesn't actually know anything about the Christian faith or the Bible or, or Jesus. And honestly, I've watched interview after interview where he's been asked about his faith, what he usually does is changes the topic mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't really have anything to say about that. So, and then, and then the third thing that happens when we, you know, when we align Christianity with a, a party or its leaders is that we get tempted to rationalize uh, the immoral or unhealthy words and actions from our preferred leaders. And again, that could be any leader. Um, but for example, we have a well-documented litany of statements from Donald Trump that are either racially prejudiced or that are sympathetic to racist groups. And I have listened to Christians justify all of these or dismiss all of these and say, oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. He didn't, he didn't mean that. He didn't say that. He didn't, you know. Um, and, and, but ask yourself this question. And again, I'm not trying to be whatever. Why is... Donald Trump, far and away, the most popular modern president with white supremacist groups in the United States. Um, I mean, why do you think that that is? You know, mm-hmm. there's a reason. It's because they caught those 
signals. So, or just last week, as he's facing all these indictments, you know, he posted a, a video where he says, don't F around with us. I'm not going to say the word, but he says, don't F around with us. If you do, we will do things to you that have never been done before. How do you, how do you hear that? Right. As a as a as a Christian, that is the threat of something violent. I don't know what, mm-hmm. not inside his head, but but that's the threat of something violent. Um, and whatever you do with that as a Christian, don't justify it, right? Mm-hmm. And and I would say the exact same thing if we were talking about a Democratic politician mm-hmm. or a politician of any other stripe or flavor. I would say the exact same thing is I would say that from a vantage point of how human beings treat each other and from the vantage point of who we hold up. Mm-hmm. As leaders, we tell our children, grow up and be like the president of the United States. Well, that's problematic, yeah. you know, for, for us. It, and it, we just need to be able to say, so here it is. If I haven't given all my allegiance to one party or leader, I can still say, I prefer this leader, but that's problematic. Right. But if I've given all my allegiance, I don't want to say it's problematic because everything right. there has to be the good side. Right. right? So. Right. Well, and, and, and a lot of people who might be listening will say, you know, you're just, you're just more progressive. You're just left-leaning. You're, just, But I think people fail to, to see the point that you're trying to make, which is not looking at, you're, you're, you're pulling up an ex, a specific example because it's been a recent example. Right. But what you're really looking at is don't align yourself with a human being who has motivations and, and has a, a benefit of what they are gaining yeah. And instead, put Jesus there and, and that because that's what you're called to do as a Christian, not say this person, this party, this cause, this whatever has to be at the center. No, yeah. Christ needs to be at the right. center. And so, so we've said, yes, exactly. Thank you, Leslie. Exactly. And so we've said many times around our church, which this, is, this statement is not partisan toward anybody. We have said, we're not following the donkey. And we're not following the elephant. Mm-hmm. We're following the lamb. Right. And and so and you have to try every day to keep yourself centered there. Right. But but know? it's hard when everything political is so big and so loud to keep our perspective on what's bigger. So what is bigger? Let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's talk about what's bigger. What's bigger is the kingdom of God. Jesus says. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, uh, "Change your thinking. The kingdom." of the heavens has drawn near, right? There's, you know, uh, and we, we call this the, he, he says, he says, change your thinking in one place. He says in Mark, I think, and believe in the good news of the kingdom, right? That word good news is the Greek word euangelion. It means the gospel, the good news. That, when we say gospel, that's what it means, the good news. And, and we always say around here at Life Spring, it's the good news that there is because of God and, and because of God coming to us in Christ and all he's done for us in Christ, that there is a new way uh, to, to see and to be and to live. Um, and, and that that's been modeled to us by Jesus. And it doesn't look like the fear that's in the world. Think of all the fear in politics, right? right? It doesn't look like the fear that's in the world or like the power mm-hmm. that the world loves and the world yields. Um, it comes from love and it leads to love. And that's what we Christians call salvation. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, far different perspective. Mm. I guess let me ask you this one. With all of this that we're talking about, and, and you, you've started to kind of go specifically into a different direction, 
does the Bible wade into the political waters at all and give us any guidance? It does, and it's interesting because um, I think maybe we thought the Bible doesn't have anything political to say, and that has left a vacuum where we could take these modern ideas about Christ, modern ideas Christians have about politics, mm-hmm. you know, like marrying God and and the state, or marrying God and a, Jesus and a political party, and we could say, oh, this must be the Christian way. But um, I'll give you a really simple example. And I didn't know this for a couple of decades reading my New Testament, that when Paul uses this statement, he says, he talks about people confessing, and this is the phrase, that Jesus is Lord, right? So that word Lord, that's not actually a religious word. It's the Greek word kyrios, and it's used for like leaders and masters. And, you know, so it's like saying Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the master, right? So the common phrase in the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus was Caesar is Lord. Mm-hmm. And so the Christians come along and they go, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> no, Jesus is Lord of all, to the point that Paul paraphrases Isaiah in, I think it's Philippians, and he says, and someday at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow mm-hmm. and every tongue will swear that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master to the glory of God the Father. So. So that's a very political statement. Mm-hmm. So when someone says, our great hope is in this politician, my response is, no, Jesus is Lord, and our great hope is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the most political book in the New Testament is actually the book of Revelation. A lot of people don't know this. And the reason we don't know it is we read all the left behind books and we got taught this idea about the book of Revelation being like a roadmap to the 20th century and the, the, how the end times would play out mm-hmm. in the 20th century. That view of the book of Revelation is a dispensational view that's maybe 200 years old. It's not 2,000 years old like, like the church is. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book of Revelation, what it really is, is it's written to persecuted Christians who are being persecuted by the Roman Empire. Um, around the end of the first century. And um, what it really is, is it's a reminder that God is saving the world in an unexpected way. And so John is writing, John who John the Revelator, who writes this book, is writing to the Christians saying, don't give up your faith. It is hard and you're being persecuted, but don't give up because God is going to save the world He's going to bring the world out of this darkness, but he's not, he's not doing it in the way that the world works with all this violence and, and, and power. So he's reminding his readers that the rulers and powers of the world can't save humanity and that they don't have an ultimate claim to authority in the world. That goes back to Jesus is Lord. Jesus has the all authority has been given to me, Jesus says, mm-hmm. in heaven and, and on earth. And so when you read the book of Revelation and you read about Babylon the Great, mm-hmm. that's the Roman Empire. But theologically, we would say that Babylon the Great is every empire. It's every superpower. It's every superpower that says it's going to save or dominate the world and it's going to do it by force. And, uh, at, at, and when Babylon in the book of Revelation finally falls, uh, we hear the... the we hear the, the voice crying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Said it was the greatest thing ever. Look at the history of the world. Superpowers have come. Mm-hmm. There's no Roman Empire anymore, is there? And yeah. superpowers, superpowers have gone. 
Um, and so um, this is especially important because we, we need to recognize that the great powers always try to save the world mm-hmm. through domination, through aggression, through violence. And we see more Christians today buying into the idea that for God's work to be done in the world, we might have to embrace violence. For God to save America, we might have to get, we Christians might have to get violent for God to save America. I've heard people say that. I, I, we've heard people say mm-hmm. that, right? And so you go, wait a minute. Is, first of all, let's back up. Is that the mission? Is that the mission, right? For God to save America? And is that the way that God works? That God, you know, and depending on how we read our Bible, we might convince ourselves that that's the way God's going to get his work done is through violence. And yet Jesus says to Peter, put away your sword. Yep. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. So, um, but one of the things that comes across loudest in the book of Revelation is God is not saving the world through violence. There's this profound scene in Revelation chapter 5 where there's this scroll that has been brought to the, the throne room of God. And it needs to be opened because in the scroll is all the things that are going to happen by which God is going to redeem and restore the world. And John writes, but no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Um, who's going to unlock this salvation of the world? Who is it? And, and John says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who could open the scroll. And then he says, and then I turned and I beheld a lamb on the throne, looking as if it had been slain. This is God's way of saying through John, I'm saving the world through self-sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. Not through more violence, not through the way Babylon or, or any other empire, you know, wields the sword. Or sometimes Christians have been taught to read the book of Revelation that Jesus is coming back on this horse and he's, he's got this sword. If you Google the paintings of Revelation, Jesus, and sword, if you Google that, you get all these paintings of Jesus. He's got this sword raised up and he's coming back in vengeance, right? But if you read the text closely in Revelation 19, yes, it says his robe is dipped in blood. And people have assumed that's the blood of all these people he came back to to take out. It's his own blood. This is how God is saving the world, through self-sacrificial love. And that's the cross. Right. Right. So we're almost out of time. So let me just say, I think it's important important for us to kind of point out that what we haven't said, we haven't said vote Republican. We haven't said vote Democrat. We haven't said Biden's the chosen person of God or Trump is the chosen person of God. Uh, We haven't disparaged the opportunity and privilege of being able to be an influence in our country. So what have we said? What I'm saying is, let's be Jesus people in the middle of this mess. But, but, you're, but, uh, but to do that, you're going to have to wrestle with some questions. Do you believe in Christian nationalism? Do you believe you can marry Jesus to a state? I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Like, do you believe <laughs> that you can marry Jesus to a state? Um, and you, you have to work through some questions. But, but I think if we understand how God is saving the world, what it means looks like to follow Jesus, then we can say, let's be Jesus people mm-hmm. in the middle of all this, and let's think deeply about what the good news really is and the extent to which we can or cannot identify it with a nation or its politics. Yeah. So have you personally been surprised at how strongly Christians in this time have identified Christianity 
with one party and absolutely refused to accept almost any criticism or any conversation about that party or its leaders. And, and again, I'm talking about on both sides. Yeah. I, I'm not saying, yeah. you know, only Republicans, only Democrats, because I've, I have sat back and watched the fray yeah. and, and the, the yeah. fighting and people lobbying, you know, the yeah. grenades at each other. Um, you know, have you been surprised at that? Yeah. Just to pick up on what you said there, you know, you can just as easily say, I'm a Christian and I'm therefore I have allegiance to Donald Trump. And you can just as easily say, I'm a Christian and therefore I hate Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Neither one of those are a Jesus perspective. Right. Right. I mean, Jesus called me to love my, love my enemies. But to answer your question, I, I have been surprised by it. it. It's made me sad. It's also made me scared. I've been caught in the in the fray of that a little bit as a pastor with mm -hmm. Christians doing different, you know, re reacting to politics in different ways. Um, but I, I think several things, I don't want to sound like I'm blaming Christians. So I think Christians got set up for this. I, I still think it's wrong. I think it's wrong that we've married Jesus to the state. I think it's wrong that we give our, if we give our, a allegiance in a wholehearted way politically to one party or 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 one leader one political leader um, but I think Christians got set up and I didn't think they saw it. I think they got you know how you get pulled into something a little at a time mm -hmm. and then you might one day wake up and go well how'd I get all the way over here <laughs> right you know um, it's like that beach ball in the pool and you look up five minutes later and the beach balls at the other end of the pool you go well, I know it because there was this breeze happening right so mm -hmm. the breeze was this 60-year history mm -hmm. right a lot of Christians didn't really see what was happening here's what they didn't see they didn't see that on the political side the working of Christian issues was very intentional by politicians. And they, did, they just thought, oh, we're Christians, we're standing for the right thing. And they realized there were politicians who were strategizing how to bring Christians deeper and deeper into a certain fold and, and to position them in certain ways. And so there's this 60-year history, but we didn't realize it was happening. But it, it, it pulled us in, it set us up for this place. Um, and then the myth of a Christian nation, which we talked about, that set us up. Mm -hmm. Because people said, America was started by Christians and it's a Christian country. Well, the truth is there were Christians involved in the founding of America, but most of the founding fathers were actually deists, which is different from being a Christian. It's a person who believes in God, but they believe God is distant and he kind of wound up the universe to work by natural law. This is in the wake of the teaching of like John Locke about natural law in the 16, 1700s. And so God just, he's kind of standing off at a distance and, and the universe is unfolding. That's how most of the founding fathers, which is why there's mention of God in our founding documents, but not Christianity. Mm -hmm. That's why there's the separation of church and state. They saw how this played out. They were very wise. They saw how Christian nationalism played out, where, where if the king was Catholic, he killed all the Protestants. We're talking European history here. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if the king or the queen was Protestant, killed all the Catholics, right? right? And they said, this is a problem. So yeah. they created a religion with, they created a state that said we're not beholden to one religion. But we have the myth of a Christian nation that kind of set us up for this. Uh, I think we have to rethink that. Um, and I think the other thing that set us up for it is we have an incomplete gospel. And I, I want to explain that. A lot of us, as particularly as evangelicals, what we've been taught about the gospel is that you believe in Jesus, he forgives your sins, that's what the cross is about, 
and then you'll be, you'll be admitted into heaven. So it's forgiveness and getting into heaven. This is kind of the heart of the gospel. But if we listen to Jesus and even read the letters of the New Testament, Paul's letters, Peter's letters, mm-hmm. John's letters, carefully, what we'll discover is the heart of the gospel is what God says actually at the end of the book of Revelation. Behold, I make all things new. God is making all things new. This is the heart of the gospel. He's restoring us as human beings. And part of that restoration is a restoration to goodness. So we, as evangelicals, we said, oh, we're forgiven, we're going to heaven. We didn't talk a lot about goodness. And so then when politicians show up and they display a lot of not goodness, we have an easier time with it. We have an easier time justifying it and rationalizing it because that isn't, that's not really where we've had our, we haven't seen the gospel framed in that way of restoring all things to their good place. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and uh, you know, I just think it's, it's, uh, it's why we can't give ourselves to one party and leave. with Jesus. Right. So, though, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to, I'm going to be completely transparent right now. You know that there might be somebody who's listening who says, ah, you're just bashing the right and you believe in the left and in liberals. What, did, what would you say to that? And I know you, so I know where your heart is and I, I know what you're trying to get to in this podcast, but what would you say to that? Because you know, some people are going to, are going to bristle. I know, I know. And I think I would say that it actually illustrates, if someone says that, it actually illustrates the crisis of where we are in the church with the question of politics. Because I can try to talk, and, and I've had this experience also in our church community, I can try to talk um, about the underlying questions involved in allegiance to Jesus and what is the gospel and how is God really working in the world, right? Um, and and the self-sacrificial love versus violence and dominating power. I can talk about all these things, but if I'm not lining these days, it could be different in another time, but these days, if I'm not just lining up on the right, people go, oh, well, then you're lining up all the way on the left. And I had this experience when I tried to preach Jesus-centeredness during the pandemic and the political and cultural upheaval that whole season. I had this experience where I would try to preach Jesus-centeredness and, 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 uh, but if I critiqued anything on the right, the only explanation some people could come up with was that I was a, a, a leftist, liberal, you know, immoral, you know, w- whatever. Um, and I think it just explains kind of where we are. I, I think you're right because I, I've had people say, "You're guy Joe," and and I've I've been like, <laughs> the first time somebody said that to me, I'm like, who? <laughs> who are you talking, <laughs> are you talking about? about? Right. And they said, well, you know, Joe Biden. I'm like. Joe's not my guy. I'm like, right. Jesus is my guy. Jesus is my guy, right. So, and here's the thing, the refusal to be open to critiques in all directions, right? Mm-hmm. Is itself the evidence that I've bought into this paradigm that one side of politics represents all the good and the truth and the other side represents all the evil mm-hmm. and, and the lies, right? So I will tell you, I am a guy who can hear and make critiques of political parties and leaders, right and left. Right. I can, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm centered in this place in Jesus. I don't mean that centered like centrist politics, though sometimes I might be a centrist. It kind of depends on the issue. But, but that's the thing, is that, is that if I can't handle critiques in any and every direction, 
I'm defending something I have an awful lot of allegiance to. Mm -hmm. And whatever direction that is, that kind of shows, you know, what I've done. When someone makes a valid critique, even of the party or leader that I prefer, you know, our response as people who supposedly love the truth should be, hey, that's a good point. I'll have to think about that and I'll have to look into that some more. And, you know, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we almost feel like if someone these days, it's like if someone criticizes your what you think of as your party or leader, you like it's like the instant defense. Right. And you're like, why can't why can't we just say, well, I'm trying to follow Jesus and goodness and truth. And so I, I didn't know that or I, I hadn't thought about it that way. So yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. I'll reflect on that. Maybe try to learn a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really been lacking is is, is uh, conversation and communication, you know, because oh people do get their dander up and they're like, oh no, we're not talking now. And I've, I've done this myself where I, I had somebody say to me, we need to talk about this. I'm like, we absolutely do not need to talk about this, but it was different because it was a combative. We need to talk right. about this, right. not let's have a conversation. We were just talking uh, the other night with some folks and we were talking about the fact that there are still families out of the last presidential election where people are not talking to each other mm -hmm. and they won't come to each other's homes uh, because of this. And that's, for me, that's tragic. Right. Right. And what happened to the day and age where we could sit at a table and have a meal and not, I mean, you know, there were the taboo subjects that you didn't talk about politics right. being one of right. them. There was a reason for that because right. people didn't always agree. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this too. Uh, do you think if we hitch our wagon to Jesus and, and not to a party or to its leaders or not to Christian nationalism, that we can still debate about the approaches that are being taken to say like things like immigration, the economy, guns, social pro programs, those kinds of things? Yeah, I think that's part of the part of the point and where we have to get to is we can talk about all those things, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and because we need dialogue and we need collaboration and healthy compromise to, to try to figure out what the best solutions are, right? The point of government is the good of the people. So how, how do we make progress toward that? That's gonna take conversation. What makes me sad is that American politics has become this like zero sum game, mm -hmm. right? A zero sum game is a game where uh, every gain on one side is an equivalent loss on the other side. Right. So zero sum games don't have collaboration and working together and healthy compromise and all those kind of things. Um, so it makes me sad that we're that that's where we are, and that if someone d disagrees with me on an issue, it's almost like the message is they have to be your mortal enemy. Right. And we're not going to get anywhere. No. With with that. You never get anywhere yeah. when when it's yeah. a, a us versus them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah never. Yeah. So um, which to me seems like all the more reason why as Christians that we need to go into the next political season as. Jesus people, yeah, you know, not as, uh, and, and not saying that you can't have a leaning in wouldn't politics, it, but put Jesus there. Wouldn't it be there. amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing? I'm not going to say this is going to happen with Christians across our culture. That may be too optimistic. But wouldn't it be amazing if a whole bunch of the Christians we knew, or a whole bunch of the Christians who are watching this podcast, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if those people went into the next presidential election cycle saying, I am holding firmly to Jesus? And I'm going to look for the good on both sides, and I'm willing to see the bad on both sides. And yes, I might have to make a decision about who to vote to, but I am doing this rooted in the teaching and the heart of Jesus. Right. That's not where we went last time. No, no. Most, <laughs> it would be amazing. Mostly we didn't. Right. It would be amazing. It would be. Well, Fran, thanks for the history and the perspective. And I, I'm going to just say this. There's probably some people who are going to come out of this podcast who disagree with you or are yeah. uncomfortable with certain things that you've said today. But I know that you're trying to help people grab onto 
a Jesus-like and Jesus-centered perspective on all of these things. Yeah. So, so I thank you for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. to all of you out there, thank you so much for listening. Um, we're incredibly grateful that you're part of this podcast and we, we hope that you're finding good things as you listen and um, join us on our weekly podcast together. Yeah. Thanks, Leslie. For This was hard work, these two episodes. <laughs> um, and I hope you're listening with an open mind. And hey, before you go, uh, wherever you're listening or watching, would you uh, like us and subscribe to this so that more people can, uh, can find that? If you're listening somewhere where there's reviews, you can do a rating or a review of us. And if you would like to know more about us or you would like to join our email list, which would be awesome, you can do that at our website, which is Jesus at the Table. Dot com. And we'll see you next time for more conversation with Jesus at the table. Mm-hmm.